0: Spending Greetings the and welcome, everyone, to me, you know, right now. a summer at C, summer night at CU. If you are here for the Shakespeare Festival, <laughs> that's a little bit north across campus and a little bit later in the summer. Uh, for those of you who are here for the telecom event, I think you're in for a real treat—a um, telecommunications night dream, perhaps. Um, And uh, I want to make three quick points. My name is Brad Bernthal. I'm the director of the Entrepreneurship Initiative here at the Silicon Flatiron Center. Um, First, a word about Silicon Flatirons and our entrepreneurship initiative. Uh, We are a donor-supported center committed to the proposition that every great entrepreneurship scene is backed by a world-class university. And our goal is to connect the front ranges, software, internet, and telecom startup scenes and emerging company scenes to the university. Um, We sponsor through the Entrepreneurship Initiative the New Tech Meetup, which for those of you who have been here in this room, know there's a rush to get a seat uh, after the reception, the Entrepreneur Law Clinic, a Crash Course Series, and we work closely with other partners across campus to do a student and faculty-oriented series called the New Venture Challenge. Second, a number of thank yous. Um, First, is Jamie Stewart here? No? uh... I Think Good Thoughts for Jamie Stewart of Silicon Flatirons Center and Anna Noskezi, our program director uh, who is around all sorts of good things associated with Silicon Flatirons. Katie McCoy. Katie um, is with ZEO. She's been a key engine for organizing logistics and coordinating tonight's events. And I want to thank our co-sponsors for tonight event. for tonight's event which includes ZEO, and I'll say a few more words about Zayo shortly, and Quest, which was uh, terrific in providing this reception. Um, CTP, Sue Wyman, is over there. I guess uh, keeping on the down low. Um, <laughs> ITP, the Interdisciplinary Des- Telecom Program, Director Tim Brown, and eShip, Seth Murray, I saw Seth come in, is back there. So round of applause, please, for our sponsors. Third and finally, I want to introduce the panel for tonight's event. I, it is just terrific to have what I consider to be a roster of all-stars uh, up over here, which is um, it's a different type of panel than usually sitting up there in the courtroom. I don't know if there's any <laughs> pending litigation, but now would be a good time to just declare it over. I think that it'll it will work. That would be it if you've got a, an issue out there. Um, for those of you who have been part of Silicon Flatirons' Entrepreneurs Unplug series before, this is a slightly different format than we usually use. Usually, it's a and a Actors Studio type of event. Um, I think this is going to be a, a lot of fun and uh, a great experiment to see if it works. Um, in terms of tonight's panelists, I will briefly introduce them, but I direct you to the program. In the interest of time, I'm going to keep the intros short. First on the end is our moderator, Don De Temple. Don is the executive, or was the executive chairman of New Global Telecom, which recently exited to Comcast, where he is currently working. Um, I'm not going to do this sequentially because my notes are not in sequence. If you couldn't already tell, um, Dan Caruso is the president and CEO of Zeo Group. A special word about Dan. First of all, in terms of this evening, this evening's event, Dan was really the catalyst behind it. He has helped galvanize the all-star roster that you see over my shoulder. And uh, additionally, Dan is a board member for the Silicon Flatiron Center's Entrepreneurship Initiative. And finally, and I don't think he necessarily knows how much I appreciate this, in connection with the New Venture Challenge, we were out pitching for money last year. And uh, at a time in which we were selling something that was not quite vaporware but was close. (laughs) Dan got behind it and was a affirmation of the effort that allowed us to get First Western Trust Bank on. Libby Cook got behind it and it allowed us to help organize 40 teams of startups across campus. I I call them company startups. They're not necessarily in the formal sense of startups. But 40 teams of students and faculty got together. Uh, We had a new venture challenge finals uh, last March. It was a tremendous success. We've got momentum and in no small part uh, due to Dan. So a round of applause for that. Thank you to Zale. Uh, Jimmy Anderson is the president, vice president for corporate development at Quest Communications. As I mentioned, Quest generously helped sponsor the reception. Uh, Mike Rulo, Mike is the senior vice president of business development and strategy for TW Telecom. Jack Waters, Jack is president of Global Network Services for Level Three Communications. Art Zili, Art is the uh, CEO of Hosting.com. And Grant Van Royen. Grant is uh, the CEO for IX Investments, LLC. Uh, I almost called him nine. I feel like I just finished. And here's your 2010 L.A. Lakers. Uh, with that, Don, over to you. This should be a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: Great. Uh, thank you, Brad. And it's, it's great to be out here in Boulder with, with such a distinguished panel. I, I don't know if you recognize, but on this panel we have two former uh... colorado telecommunications executives of the year we have a former uh, nationally ranked uh, debater uh... we even have a rocket scientist now i'm not going to name any names but hopefully as the night uh, rolls on perhaps you'll get a little indication of uh... of, of, of who's who but uh... it's going to be i hope a pleasure moderating this panel and theoretically my job should be pretty easy given the quality of the panelists but as we know in real life sometimes reality doesn't follow theory uh, so we'll see what happens i'm especially pleased to see a number of students out in the audience tonight i know that uh... in the summer session uh, there aren't that many students on campus but it's great to, to have you here with us tonight uh, just a little bit of the ground rules which basically there's only a few uh, i've asked each panel participant to kind of open the discussion this evening kind of with some brief introductory remarks uh, following their remarks i'm going to direct some dialogue uh, through questions uh, towards the theme of resurgence and also career opportunities uh, for students in telecommunications and technology uh, at about the midway or two-thirds point I'm going to open it up to the audience and we will take uh, all questions so we definitely want this to be an interactive full duplex experience for everybody but I would ask that you hold your questions until I call for them uh, just a little bit later in the presentation so as far as introductory remarks why don't we start down at the end with grant and work our way across here
2: yeah, uh, good evening, everybody, and if you can't understand me, I'm the guy with the funny accent, so come and talk to me later on and I'll explain what I said. Um, <laughs> IX Investments is a uh, acquisition telecom acquisition holding company. It was founded about 12 months ago. Um, we, uh, my partner and I, actually, he's in the audience, a chap called Todd Coleman, um, we left Level 3 about a year ago um, and we spent uh, most of 2009 working on a, a strategy to acquire some companies in, in a very narrow space of the telecom value chain. Um, we raised about $400 million last year. Um, we were unable to put that money to work, um, but our investors and uh, certainly the two of us found it a pleasant enough experience to do it again. Um, since then, we have worked on uh, and are working on another strategy um, that hopefully will come to life here in the next couple of weeks or months. Um, we've rounded, out, rounded up about $100 million that we expect to put to work over the next 12 months. Um, it is in a very narrow area, <clears throat> but very rich area of telecom. And if you can forgive me, I will be intentionally oblique because I'd rather talk about it once it's come to life. Um, <laughs> but particularly if you're a student out there <clears throat> and you're looking for,
3: I'll fill um, you guys in later if you yeah, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and
2: I'll fill you, and I'll be more than happy to fill you in on the companies Dan will be buying next as well if you let <laughs> that go. Um, so, but particularly to the students out there, um, uh, I'm certainly fortunate enough to be young enough to remember what it was like to be a student. Um, and I got my start um, working, you know, not too long ago, um, but if you're an, a, a very, an individual of great character um, and you have great intellectual curiosity, um, it is highly likely that we will be recruiting at least one uh, graduate uh, between now and the end of the year. So um, I will leave it to you to find me if you are that person. Um, and equally, you can find Todd as well.
4: Uh, so Mike Rouleau with uh, TW Telecom. We are a uh, uh, national provider of, uh, local access across the com- country. Uh, we operate in 75 markets around the United States and and have been around for about 17, 18 years. Focused on uh, what we do is build fiber infrastructure out to en- enterprise end user buildings. And so we have uh, uh, nearly 11,000 uh, buildings on net, uh, which may not sound like a lot, but when you consider how, how much fiber access there is in, in uh, the United States, uh, there, frankly, isn't a lot of buildings connected with fiber. So uh, we we focus on what we can do for the enterprise customer. Uh, we do support carriers as well, but we focus on that enterprise business, uh, medium and large enterprise, where we can deliver uh, a solution end-to-end for that customer and give them scalability and, and capacity that they need to run their business. Um, you know, just thinking about uh, the telecom business, I've been in this business for over 25 years and uh, again for the students out there, it, it's I think one of the most fascinating and exciting places to be. Uh, there's, it's never dull. There's always something uh, new going on. Um, I think right now in, in this industry we're at a, a state of uh, flux and a little bit of inflection uh, where there's tremendous opportunities for the next 5 to 10 to 20 years. And, uh, and I just can't think of a better place to be.
5: Uh, my name is Jim Anderson. I'm with Quest. Quest is a uh, large communications provider based here in Denver. Uh, if you look at our business, it's really comprised in three different aspects as far as customers are concerned. The business markets, wholesale customers, and then consumer or retail business, or mass business. And uh, last year, just to give you a, a sense as far as scale is concerned, I uh, did about $12 billion in revenue in 2009. Uh, 65% of that was from the business uh, side of the equation, the rest from mass and then wholesale. And uh, we announced as well a transaction that uh, is to take place and close here in the second half of next year. Uh, We're doing a merger with a company called CenturyLink based out of Monroe, Louisiana, where the combined company, pro forma wise.
3: They're listening in. (laughs) I think they are.
5: (laughs) Is that you, Dan? (laughs) Uh, But the combined company will have a pro forma of around uh, uh, $19.8 billion, so it's a much larger company. We're going from a 14-state coverage to 37 states as far as our uh, uh, retail business is concerned, our mass business, and uh, have an EBITDA around uh, the $3.5 billion mark. Uh, if you start looking at the assets that we have, this is really kind of a clear reflection of what's been taking place in the industry as far as consolidation is concerned. And uh, we think it's a great thing. We think scope and scale is necessary to uh, really survive and thrive, if you will, as far as the innovation that's uh, looking to take place in the industry. Uh, as far as uh, students here, uh, actually I'm fortunate to be here. I actually graduated here some years ago, and I'm not a 25-year telecom guy. I've only been in telecom for... Uh, uh, for about eight years. Uh, but just more so- feels
4: like 25,
5: right? <laughs> uh, in dog years, it's 35, I believe, right now. But... Uh- uh, it, it's, it's been an interesting ride, though, coming out of school here in Colorado. And, uh, you know, what I've found over the years is, is really kind of the passion that's here on the front range as well. And I think, you know, if you look at the portfolio, people are here and uh, the different companies as well. What you see is really kind of a, a stronghold, if you will, as far as the telecommunications business. And there's a lot of smart, bright people, and uh, it, it tends to attract a lot of talent. So as we look at the new company, Quest, moving forward with the merged entity, uh, our business markets group is going to be based here. And we're going to have a significant presence, so, so we're going to be continuously looking for some uh, top talents. So, thank you.
3: Thanks. Yeah, I should mention that Don, our moderator, is also a very accomplished entrepreneur in uh, telecom and, and internet, and uh, he could easily have been one of the folks on the panel, but he was nice enough to uh, offer to moderate. Uh, I call it refereeing, but refereeing. <laughs> 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 uh, the primary theme here is uh, obviously telecom and internet, and. I think sometimes we underappreciate in the front range how important this uh industry sector is. It's it's one of if you look across the entire nation, uh there are prob there's probably more telecom and internet infrastructure activity here in Colorado than anywhere other than the largest cities. Uh the companies represented here are you know, range from kind of startup uh ideas uh like Ront described at the end of the table to uh, some of the most established uh, and successful telecom companies. Nationwide, and that's probably the biggest theme that we want to leave you with. ZeO uh, focuses on bandwidth infrastructure. We've been uh, acquiring companies uh, who built fiber networks during the heyday and pulling them together into a platform uh, to offer similar services as uh, some of the other panelists described. Uh, I'm also involved in another company called Envision, which Matt Steinford, the CEO of Envision, is sitting here in the second row. Uh, they do a different type of uh, which I still consider internet infrastructure. Uh, they're applying it through a software as a service business model uh, and delivering kind of a video solution for distributed enterprises. So you know, that range of activity to the range you hear up here is just—it's a great environment for it. And I really want to encourage uh, you know the CU and the student body to to realize how important that is to uh, both our economy and what a successful career path it offers.
6: I'm Art Zaley, and I'm the CEO of Hosting.com. And hosting.com is a company that basically manages uh, websites. Most of our customers are e-commerce centric, so they uh, conduct transactions over the web, and because of that, there are specialized functions that are required across storage competencies, network competencies, security competencies. The best way that I describe it to most folks is that we are the geeky guys behind the scenes that make sure that the websites are up seven by 24 uh, for major companies. I'm a third-time entrepreneur. Um, my first two businesses were basically started out of basements, but, and one, the second one was started out of basement here in Boulder. Uh, this particular company is a company where, with our private equity investor, we have acquired two companies and merged them together. So it is still much like a startup, but we're running at about $60 million of revenues. Uh, 300 people, five data centers across the United States, spanning California to Delaware. Um, Two other facts. Uh, I am the rocket scientist. uh, I consider myself a reformed rocket scientist. (laughs) Uh, I graduated from the Air Force Academy. And when I sold my second business, I sold it to Global Crossings, and Don was my uh, boss for a year (laughs) and a half.
1: Difficult guy to manage. <laughs> <laughs> could, be, could be for this panel too. <laughs>
6: I'm,
7: I guess I'm last. Uh, I'm Jack Waters. I run the network services portion of Level Three. Level Three. If you don't know Level Three, it's a small startup from Omaha, Nebraska.
8: Company
7: <laughs> um, company's actually 13 years old. We have about 5,400 or so employees. 3.7 billion of revenue. Um, absolutely the poster child startup in the late 90s um, probably raised the most money I looked to, to Dan because Dan was my boss at, uh, at the very beginning of level 3 um, probably raised the most money of any in- internet infrastructure company at the time um, today we operate globally mainly in the US and uh, we have a, a decent sized operation in Western Europe which also serves Eastern Europe and um, you know, as I thought about, about the, the topic, I, I'm an Internet guy. I'm, I'm not really a telecom guy. I started very early in my career as, as uh, you know, my friends wondered what the hell the Internet was and why I carried around the laptop and before anybody else did. And, and uh, as I thought about Colorado, um, I don't know if you know, but up the street here, one of the first sites on the Internet is one of the first sites on the Internet, NCAR. Um, so NCAR was one of the first five sites on, on the what we would call the modern internet, it was part of the NSF net and uh, that eventually became the co- commercial internet that, that we all know and know mm-hmm. and love and, and, and for the students out there, you might think, I'm an old guy now, I used to be the young guy, um, telecom you might think, god it's an old industry, but it's really not. You Think about competitive telecom has only been around for 25 years. There are 26 years if you you know modified final judgment which was the thing that broke up AT&T happened in 1984 so so technically our our industry really isn't that old and if you fast forward to to the things that really changed telecommunications the internet it's really probably you know pick pick your number 16 15 years, years old so it, it is still a pretty exciting place and and a really exciting industry we located our company here for, for a lot of reasons, um, but one of the biggest reasons was because it was a place that we knew we could attract people to come work. And so that has really turned out very well for us um, a, as a company, and I think it will continue to be be that. Um, the, the venture community is certainly very, very uh, alive and vibrant here in, in Colorado, and, and uh, we continue to see great companies that, that are represented here starting up so we're we're real excited about colorado and its prospects for telecom
1: in the late nineteen nineties about the time i moved out here to colorado uh... the technology and the telecom sector was booming here on the front range and it was kinda fueled by what some people thought would be an infinite uh... uh, demand for broadband uh... that was followed obviously with the the great telecom meltdown of two thousand and one and i 'd like to ask the panel you know what lessons did you learn from the great telecom meltdown of two thousand and one and and secondarily, why do you think it's different th- this time around and I guess I, you know at this time i 'm going to start with Dan I mean if this is the Supreme Court, I think he 's in the chief justice position, <laughs> something that he fits quite nicely into
3: so dan why don't we we start with you on this one yeah you know, it's been a wild ride, and uh, all of us up here have been in it, and probably half the people in the in the audience were part of the ride as well. I think what's uh, what's not different is that the internet is growing at a very rapid pace. The internet, throughout the uh, the initial boom, through the meltdown, and and through the resurgence, the internet's always been growing at you know pick your number thirty, forty, fifty, sixty percent a year, and growing at maybe thirty five percent now a year or forty on a much bigger number. It's just skyrocketing. The iPads, the iPhones, and all the other devices people are using are sparking the growth of the Internet. But what's different is I think, uh, I think we're more mature as, and more responsible as both managers and investors. We, you know, we uh, care about really making money on, on business plans that make sense and on the line of sight of really understanding kind of cash flow, so much more grounded in the, the pragmatic aspects of what makes a business work. And, you know, we, we learned some hard lessons during the day. So to me, that's the biggest difference.
1: Jack, I, go ahead. Yes, and the panel, you can, you can take over. I'm not going to – you don't have to raise hands. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah,
7: I, I'd say <laughs> lessons learned. Um, one is, is, you know, for anybody that's a manager, there are different ways to say it, but I'd say facing the truth. And, you know, as we were growing like crazy as a company – um, it became pretty obvious that there wasn't um, the demand that that everyone had thought in the industry. And I think we faced the truth um, uh, reasonably well. You know, in retrospect, there's probably about a thousand things that I'd do differently, but I think that that is one. If you're if you're leading a business, facing the truth is probably one of the things that uh, that certainly jumps out. Here, that is is pre-funding your business plan is a is a good good thing to do just in case. The capital markets ever close.
5: I'll build on that a little bit. The uh, I think the other thing to really assess is the uh, supply and demand risk, and that's that's what we're talking about here, right? So, these infrastructure bets that were made back in the uh, in '99 and 2000, these were big bets. So, you're talking billions of dollars as far as investment is concerned. So, when you start looking at that risk portfolio as it relates to supply and demand, that's really the key element here, right? So we all thought the demand would be there, but all of a sudden there was a glut of supply, if you recall as well from a fiber perspective. So you know, what you start looking at as far as balanced investment is really understanding um, what that supply and demand risk is.
2: I'll, I'll be the unabashed capitalist for a moment, which is out of that meltdown, has it's almost a gift that has continued to give, quite frankly. Um, many of the business plans that are represented at this table um, wouldn't be Uh, in their current form or have as much potential as they have or businesses that exist um, if it hadn't been for that um, uh, poor approach to the late 90s from an investment perspective. Um, And I think people underestimate the extent to which um, smart money and smart management teams and operators continue to take advantage um, of that period, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and, And it is the gift that continues to give.
4: Yeah, you know, I was I was just going to add that I think you know back to Jack's point, you, you know, focusing on the fundamentals of the business is absolutely important. I think one of the things we've learned through these past two recessions has been um, that focus around the business. You know, the first time around, um, as we were running our business, obviously um, the makeup of your revenue has has an impact on how you operate. Uh, we were much more carrier centric back at the turn of the century than we were uh, enterprise-centric, diversified revenue stream. And, and to Jim's point, that was kind of to how do you get all this demand, capture all this demand that was coming. I remember um, uh, dial-up was still big back then, right? Um, and so back in the day, we had, uh, I saw I talked to the national sales guy that had orders in hand for 14,000 PRIs, mm-hmm. right? Voice dial-up lines for, for consumers. And literally in a matter of 60 days, that evaporated, right? So the, the shift happened so quickly, um, and you have to be able to um, be that flexible in the way that you run your business um, that, that really capturing that demand is still an important thing, and we're trying to focus on how we do it. But you do it with basic fundamentals of the business and keep your focus. Um, you know, this time around for us, um, we kept investing in our business throughout the recession, Uh, we focused on uh, continuing to acquire enterprise business and and we didn't lay off people um, which which is now paying huge dividends for us Um, so lessons learned you know if if you can keep that foundation in place keep the focus around what you're doing in the business um, that it'll it does work out
6: the the lesson that I learned predominantly was associated with Jack's comment about a pre-funded business plan and uh, my past company inflow went through a total of five rounds of financing, a series A through then D and then coming back to another series A (laughs) which is a completely different topic but it's (laughs) not a good one to say that (laughs) there were some very dark times we had 16 investors and there was this mentality that money was always going to be available and it was very difficult not to get caught up in this uh, land grab market share mentality we had an Uh, advisor, a guy named Mike Faraday, who had sat on multiple uh, telecom boards over the course of 30 years, and he kept whispering in my ear all along saying, don't invest and grow beyond your safe harbor. And what he meant by that was at one point in time, we were building data centers such that we would uh, initiate operations, a new data center each month. We built 21 data centers. Each one of the data centers uh, required $7 million of capital initially to get them running, but it took $13 million in total by our plan before they became profitable. And what he was really saying is you should make sure you reserve the $6 million incremental amount to get them profitable and don't take the risk of taking that money and reinvesting it in the next data center. And we got caught up in that, and that was a huge mistake. That we were lucky, luckily enough, able to back out of in the end. But uh, it was the formative r- lesson that I'd say I learned.
1: Colorado competes with a lot of hotbeds, geographic hotbeds around the country. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley, obviously, Boston, uh, Austin, to some degree. So, what opportunities do you think are unique to the the Colorado geography? If there are unique opportunities, and what local Uh, attributes do you think really are attracting the entrepreneurs here to Colorado. So Mike, do you want to lead us out there? or Who who wants to take this one first?
4: Um, Well, I can. I I guess the, you know, for for us, we don't spend a lot of time frankly with uh, the VC Mm -hmm. sort of community. I think one of the things we've learned just to go back Lucky to the last man. question. No. No. Me. No. Some of my
1: best friends are VCs.
4: <laughs> well, it's just, um, you know, as we as we operate a business, um, one of the things we learned, you know, back at the the turn of the decade was there was all these, these incubators uh, strategies and a lot of focus around uh, doing things new ways, right? And I remember vividly going to the industry trade show Supercom at the time in 2000 and looking at the floor and saying... This is where innovation is happening. It used to be innovation happened at places like Bell Labs, right? Um, but that, there was a 180-degree shift in how things got to market and technologies were delivered to companies. Our focus, um, you know, for better or worse, is when you put something into the network, you don't really take it out in a matter of 60 days, 90 days, 3, 5 years, right? It, it lasts a long time. So what, when we talk to people about new technologies, new capabilities, we want to make sure there's that track record in place and that that there's the funded business plan and that it's going to last a long time. And so when we think about, you know, what draws people to those sorts of startups, um, I I see another shift happening where you don't have to be in a particular place like Silicon Valley in order to have the next great idea. The network has, has fundamentally changed so it's more open and it's a platform for people to drop these applications on and, and we're seeing kind of the network operators building open architecture to the application service providers delivering those applications wherever their customers might be and so the shift happens so people can take advantage of wonderful places like Colorado where they want to live where, where they have this ecosystem around them uh, to take advantage of.
2: Maybe I'll chip in. Um, I guess I do spend a lot of time with um, private equity groups, certainly for the last year and a bit. Um, they're a fundamental feedstock for the business that we're trying to build. Um, uh, but it starts with what the entrepreneur likes, and I think that um, uh, private equity guys are a lot less fussed about necessarily where their entrepreneurs are other than they're, they're, they're in a place where they want to stay for a while and they're going to build a business that has longevity in that environment. I clearly didn't grow up here in Colorado, um, but I tell you what, I came here for a specific reason, um, and that's the reason that it makes it very hard for me to contemplate leaving and gives me great comfort and therefore gives my investors great comfort in building a business that is headquartered here um, because it's a wonderful uh, environment to live in and to raise a family. Um, it's clearly a, an environment that is incredibly rich with ideation uh, and talent right throughout the this, this spectrum of management. Um, I'm always stunned at at the quality of of, of very young uh, talent that it, that it has high aspirations which is, which is when you 're um, a little more senior in the, in, in the world it, it 's nice to see that because you can 't just build a company with c level executives um, and I think that the, the, the other point i 'd make is that the, the talent pool is very is significant um, you know you, you get a sense for how the paths amongst this um, panel have crossed over the years I mean, uh, Jack told his story about working for Dan. Well, I worked for Dan, and I also worked for Jack in my last 10 years. Um, I am incredibly scarred from that. I will share stories willingly. Um, But uh, there is an incredible network that operates here, and the confidence that, quite frankly, I have... My partner has and our investors have in our ability to actually not only bring a business to life from a financial perspective, but also actually go and attract and retain the talent in this environment is, is significant. And investors don't care necessarily where you're based. Um, they care who you are, the, the robustness of your business plan, and then your ability to build out that business wherever you choose to headquarter it. And Colorado, to a certain extent, based on some of the success that's that's on this panel um, gives those folks great comfort.
7: You know, I I think Colorado is, is, if you just look at the the history, the cable industry pretty much started here in in Colorado. Um, You know, there there have been a lot of very successful startups. You you could argue, you know, Level 3, Zayo, Quest, um, Quest prior to U.S. West and then a lot of established companies like U.S. West prior to Quest um, all were, were you know, giant telecom companies here based in, in Colorado and, and when you think of it, take a step back and say, gosh, is there any other place where there has been that much telecom activity? It's really kind of hard to find even across the country in one particular place. Um, you know, perhaps D.C. would rival that, but, but from, from a services perspective... And you know look i i wouldn't underestimate the fact that this is a great place to live, and we have a world class university right here in our backyard that I think has has you know given us great technical and business and legal talent along the way that that we've we've certainly capitalized and I think many companies have capitalized so I mean, that's that's a great sort of formula for 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 success <laughs>
1: And, and Dan and our both of you have recently attracted uh, out-of-state capital here to Colorado. W- w- I mean, was there difficulty doing that? Uh, and, and I know Dan, you especially, I mean, you have a lot of out-of-state capital that, that you've attracted, but uh, do, do you
6: see any aversion at all to the geography? You, you know, I would answer that by saying that I don't think that there's an aversion to the geography, and I, I think that a lot of people do value that this is a strong telecom community and folks do make it a regular stop if they are looking at uh, various companies across the United States. I, I do think that it is tougher now for venture stage deals to get done in Colorado because there's a little bit less venture capital that, um, than there was just five years ago, and I do think that it makes a difference being able to be you know, within a short distance of your portfolio companies, um, but that's not a big difference in today's world. My investor, I only have one, thankfully, uh, at this stage, is out of Charlotte, and it's due to a longstanding relationship uh, where I've known the managing director there for about 16 years now. And so the comfort level is super high, and I think that has um, driven the decision much more than geography. And I'd say that that's mostly the case for most entrepreneurs, especially folks that are in the private equity world or working with private equity investors.
3: Yeah, Art only has one investor, but that investor has deep, deep, deep pockets. <laughs> <laughs> it's very established and and very <clears throat> well known investor. Uh, it, you know, I think one. I'm almost going to answer the opposite question you asked, Don, and that is how can uh, Colorado kind of raise its game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the areas that Don mentioned uh, are are the most successful areas when it comes to establishing new businesses. So. You know We're measuring ourselves against the best areas, uh, but I don't think we're quite there, and I think uh, Colorado has an opportunity to get there. And uh, I think we have to build tighter bonds between the university systems and the you know, entrepreneurial community, and I think the entrepreneurial community has to kind of really rally around one another. Uh, I think we can work together and do work together in the telecom and Internet to uh, really raise our profile as being kind of a, an area of geography that – has a lot of talent and can be funded and you know the kind of investors that we've been working with are starting to fund uh, one another. I know there's you know, some of uh, grant's investors are uh, investors in the businesses i've been involved with and Don has uh, been plugged into that community as well and uh, ngT the company he most recently was overseeing had a common investor group uh, that uh, that I've uh, shared as well and i think I think we could really take advantage of each one another's success to really establish this as a great geography
1: let me vector in a slightly different direction and for the benefit of the students that are in the audience uh, i would like to ask the panel so in retrospect and i know you all have gone to college all got different types of degrees uh... but which college course did you pass on that you really wish you would have taken uh... and and why and secondarily What curriculums or courses do you feel are just absolutely essential for someone who's looking to kind of move into the area of of telecommunications or Internet infrastructure? And, Jack, I think I'll start with you on that. Sure. Um, Gosh, this this is a confession.
7: I'll answer the class I took but didn't attend. Um, (laughs) actually two micro and macro economics and and honestly I wish I had paid more attention in that than anything else Uh, I was an engineer by education so uh, I spent more time you know at the lake drinking beer and doing other things Um, so you know I mean clearly I think say it as a joke a little bit but I think if you're in the technical field a lot of times you look away from the things that round you really well and Things like our you know basic business background classes are things that i mean frankly i've probably used more in the last you know five ten years than than, than even my technical degree uh, to to a lot of extent so so I'd say that that for sure and when I think about we're and make a little bit more of a of a broad statement around if you look at engineering and computer science graduates in the u.s. over the last 10 years it's in the it's in decline um which is a kind of shocking statement for a country that has prided itself in innovation over the last you know 150 years and and that's alarming to me as an engineer as, as as a as a father you know i i want i want my kids to have a great future and um not saying that you have to have engineering or computer science as the path to a great future, but it is is—it is a great path, and I certainly hope to see those numbers turn around rather than than continue on the path they've been over the last decade. I actually do think they will turn around because I think there's, you know, as, as it has been mentioned, there's so much opportunity in, in, in this type of field and, and many others that require good technical, strong technical background that... That I'm real hopeful that, that we do see those things turn out, but that's, that's where I'd say we need focus.
6: I'll uh, also answer my, I think my wife would say that the one class that I missed was diplomacy intact, <laughs> or maybe compromise. But um, the one class that I did not take that I really wish I took earlier in my career was accounting, ba- basics of accounting. And I was an engineer. Um, in terms of rocket scientist, uh, astronautical engineer from the Air Force Academy, uh, heavily grounded in engineering. But as uh, my career grew, I would say that the importance of understanding accounting, especially uh, at a very deep level, and hopefully I've mastered many of the concepts at this point, but at a really deep level and early in your career, I think cannot be understated. The cliche is always that accounting is the language of business. But especially in this kind of an industry where um, there's a lot of money that that changes hands in telecom infrastructure and being under being able to understand the underlying drivers behind that why you're making those decisions early in your career I think is is fundamentally important um, the other thing that I'd say as a contrarian view is that I wished I had taken some kind of a class although I don't know of one that exists that gives you the basics of sales training in college as well because so much of Uh, Your career, whether you're a direct salesperson or you're just tangentially related or uh, interacting with salespeople, comes down to having some level of grounding in sales early on. Uh, Those are the things that I kind of learned as I went along, but I wish I had the opportunity to learn earlier.
5: Uh, I'll build on it. I was fortunate here at CU to have the opportunity to spend a lot of time in the business school as well as the engineering school. And those actually worked very well. Uh, I think the one thing is that there isn't one class that I wish I would have had. There's probably one that I wish would have been developed at that point in time. And that's really around uh, entrepreneurialism and then also innovation as well. So uh, when I went to school here, it was quite helpful to to, to really dig into the, the deep financials. I, I did attend the micro and macro economics <laughs> classes, uh, statistics and the like as well. Uh, but actually uh, left here as a software engineer. Uh, developing code. And so it's interesting how those things actually came to fruition and understanding the mechanics as far as how things work in the telecom industry and also the implications as well from a business perspective. But the one thing is that had to really learn uh, working with some startups previously as well is just that notion of innovation as well and how that really works. And that wasn't available back uh, when I went to school here. So to the extent that you can participate in those types of classes, those are terrific.
4: Yeah, you know, for me, um, I, I kind of agree with Art. Uh, accounting I should have probably spent some more time on. Um, in fact, I spent no time on it. And, um, and, and I guess, you know, as I think about telecom and, and what we do, there are so many facets of the business. I, you know, across the board, I've been fortunate enough to work at a couple of companies that um, invest a lot in training of their people. And so there are those opportunities to learn the industry, some of the technology, those kinds of capabilities. But if you think about telecom, there's, it ranges from an engineering and an operations side of the business to um, an entrepreneurial side of the business, to a marketing and, and product development side of the business, corporate communications. There's so many facets that, um, depending on what your passion is, uh, you can you can go into and and take advantage of those
2: training opportunities along the way. I am. Um... I'm an economics and finance major, so for me um, that that has paid off in, in great dividends. Um, I wish I had paid better attention uh, to statistics, particularly when I worked for Dan. Um, That sent me back to the books a couple of times. Um, I'll I'll tell you, there's there's nothing I really uh, probably wish I had taken, although um, I did study something that didn't actually become as valuable. I didn't realize how valuable it would be until very later on. Um, And I had an opportunity to go and study um, another language, Japanese in Japan. Um, And at the time, and for the first sort of... 10 years afterwards, it really wasn't very clear to me how valuable that, was, that would be. Um, I didn't end up working for very long in, in Asia, but what it did teach me was um, a heightened sense of reading people and an extraordinary ability, I hope. I hope I've still got it, but the ability to listen to people, um, and I think to the extent you can sprinkle throughout your education something that is a little left field that adds uh, sort of more quali- a qualitative u- nuance to your education I think will always stand you in great stead. Now, I've cornered the market of useless languages. Not only do I speak Japanese, which is very, very limited, I speak Afrikaans and Zulu too because I grew up in South Africa. So if you're looking to have a conversation in some very marginal languages around the world, I'm your guy. Um, but they certainly, they certainly give me the ability, hopefully, to be a great listener and have a broader perspective um, in applying my education. Dan,
3: did we skip over you? You well, just did everything right? <laughs>
1: come on. <I laughs> took, uh,
3: on the language front, I took beginning Spanish three times and never got hired in a C, so <clears throat> I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> At this stage,
1: I do want to open it up uh, to questions from the audience, and I guess it is a Silicon uh, irons, uh, irons tradition that the first question come from a student. So I, I would ask the, that a student come forward with the first question and, and we'll just lead it off here. Y- yes, go ahead in the back.
8: How did you guys all kind of, did you all start an entrepreneurship out of college or did you get interested into a company and then kind of start from there? So I guess how did you get into entrepreneurship?
1: So anybody can yeah. go ahead and take it.
4: Whoever. You know, For me, um, it was kind of interesting, I had an opportunity out of school. Uh, to be in the computer industry back in the early '80s, um, I sold uh, computers, um, PCs, and um, and it, the vestiture uh, was kind of interesting. The the phone company at the time thought it wanted to be in the computer business, and so they <laughs> they hired me to do that. And so when it came to um, uh, starting on on the uh, in U.S. West. It was uh, an interesting time because they wanted to try a lot of different things. Um, and so it gr- gave me great opportunities to be entrepreneurial, right, so entrepreneurial within the large organization. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to take those risks and be given those opportunities to try and develop new things. So back in the early 90s, for example, um, I worked uh, with a team of people to launch our Internet service. Um, which was very different at the time because the phone company was a local company, not a long-distance company, and the Internet was a long-distance sort of thing. Um, so I, I had the opportunity and took advantage of those um, opportunities within a large organization over the course of my career to, to try new things, to, to build new businesses.
6: I started my business uh, with three other Air Force officers, um, in fact they're uh, pretty uh, their names might be known uh, to folks here in the room, Paul Babarian, Jim Legill, and Joel Daly. And uh, we were all Air Force officers at Los Angeles Air Force Base we used to get together every Wednesday when everybody was in town to brainstorm business ideas. Uh, we departed the Air Force, and at that time, uh, we were captains in the Air Force, and we're making about twenty eight thousand dollars of salary. So we looked at it as, well, we're going from 28000 to zero. That's, that's not too bad because you start off and you don't give yourself any salaries. Uh, so there was a period of time, I think, that it was a lot easier because uh, the downside risk was, was less than it would be later on in, in life.
3: Yeah, my, Mine is uh, someone similar to Mike's. My first job out of college was Illinois Bell, you know, about as stodgy as you get. Uh, and it was going through the change. That's right when competition was beginning, and I was fortunate enough to get in a management development program where you'd rotate through multiple assignments. Which Zale, by the way, just launched a similar program. And I think there's at least one person, if not two, in the room, who are our first uh, participants in that in a similar type program. Uh, but what I learned during that you know stint, multi-year stint at Illinois Bell and then Ameritech was, I'd rather be on the competing uh, side. Of competition as opposed to defending the monopoly, so attacking the monopoly versus defending it. So, uh, fortunately, there was a early stage pioneer in competitive telecom that was based in uh, Chicago, a company called MFS Communications, who was building fiber optic networks in major cities. And uh, for those of you who uh, know the history of telecom, you know that MFS uh, became quite prominent, and at the time, uh, it sold to. Worldcom, it sold for I think the second largest price of any deal up to that point in history, uh, and then uh, that team got back together and founded uh, Level Three, and that's where a lot of us met one another. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's got to be in your blood, and uh, you know the one thing I would say is is get a lot of different experiences early in your career, try a lot of new things, push yourself, take risks, uh, and if and if you know that that interests you and, and you you respond to that and that's where your adrenaline comes from you know you're going to going to find the right right thing that really makes you tick
2: my story is, uh, i guess a little similar in some regards <clears throat> i grew up in a <clears throat> excuse me a very entrepreneurial family um, and that was that was a great gift, um, Probably the second gift my family gave me was telling me that my entrepreneurial aspirations wouldn 't be satisfied in our family businesses. So I got a kick in the pants and sent on my way, um, which to dan 's point, it gave me the opportunity to have a great education um, and uh, in in a broader environment. Um, I went into investment banking um and then i ended up in telecom um i'll be very candid with you telecom was not my fireman dream i didn't sit around as a young boy dreaming of being in telecom um but but when i got to level three it was an incredibly entrepreneurial company and has had shades of extreme entrepreneurialism right throughout its history and certainly in the time that i was there Um, and that really gave me um, a strong appetite uh, and a, almost a forced training that the rest of my career was probably going to be in and around tech and telecom, <clears throat> and more importantly, gave me a, a sense for um, you know strong enthusiasm to go and actually build my own company. Um, it was always very satisfying to look at the founders of Level Three, who who by and large have been in and around the company since the beginning, at least for in different shades. Um, and I think that that was uh, that was very intoxicating. Um, and then the final gift I was given, quite frankly, was level three. Technically, was my first seed money on leaving the company. Um, part of leaving the company was, uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, very nice to you on the way out the door, and that gave me the confidence that I'm going to take a lot of risk. Um, and you know, it's been good ever since. Um, but bumping into some classical training between investment banking and at a very organized entity like Level 3 that had a great deal of entrepreneurialism, really, it, it got in my blood and reminded me of, you know, sort of my, my early family days and then uh, the great gift my parents gave me, which was go and make your own way. Um, so, And I, I'll tell you that the last year and a half or so, um, it is in terribly intoxicating. There are good days and bad, um, but uh, it's something that uh, I'm terribly committed to. The, the likelihood of me going back to Traditional corporate America is less than zero. It's pretty low.
1: Statistically, is that pretty low? Statistically, (laughs) it's low. (laughs) I will. I look to
2: Dan on that one, given that he's the master. I do
1: want
7: to. I do want to answer the question because I answer it a little differently. Um, I I I fell in love with um, some something that I I uh, at the very beginning of my career. I worked as a programmer. Um, on one of the, at one of the, at a government site. Um, it was in the National Cancer Institute in Frederick, Maryland. I grew up in a very small town, very, very uh, modest upbringing. And I was a programmer at, at this government site. It was one of the first sites on the internet. And uh, and really early on, I I thought this internet thing, my God, this was in the mid-80s, um, where you could draw the internet literally on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of piece of paper. and, and, but the prospect of of what it could do was just so in, intoxicating to me that that um, you know I I pretty much changed my my whole plan around what I wanted to do and I I eventually you know moved moved on to different things. I ran one of the NSF regionals in the in the early 90s and then I went and did an entrepreneurial uh, stint and I started with with some folks. Uh, um, at level three, and uh, prior to level three, started MCI's internet business in the, in the mid 90s. So, so I really kind of found found my way, you know, via that path because I, I saw something that that I don't think a lot of people saw in the mid 80s that um, it really was going to be um, something that that changed the world. Um, I was lucky enough to work for the guy that invented the technology too, so that kind of helped uh, at, at MCI. But you know. When, when I joined Level Three, which, which was a little bit after Dan, you know, I, I went for one reason, one reason only. I wanted to build a, I wanted to build a network from scratch, and I, I had never done that before. And sometimes you're you're presented those types of opportunities that probably won't come around a whole lot in your life. And and uh, you know, I had a job for at the time I thought a job for life at MCI. It sounds kind of funny now, <laughs> uh, but but. Uh, but um, you know, I, I, I jumped to, to a bunch of guys that I had never met and didn't know um, because I, I really saw a great potential in, in what we were trying to do, and, and that, that uh, sometimes is scary, but
1: uh, sometimes works out. Other questions from the audience? Go ahead right here in front. First of all, thanks for coming,
8: guys. It's been a privilege to, to ask all you said in the question. I um, yeah, uh, just started a, a new uh, web startup more recently, recent lead thread, and- bunch of business kids who are running this program. However we need like a, a head program where like leadership skills and really can fit in with our team. And we're struggling finding an individual who's like young and with our team but has all that experience. So maybe you
4: guys could touch off the importance of like programs, web developers web
8: startup organization and how I can like, go search for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I used
7: to I used to work for a guy uh... At MCI, is a guy named Bob Harchark, and he, you know, if you go way back in the '70s, he ran TimeNet and uh, the old X25 network. He's a real interesting guy, and he said to me one time, you know, I made more money off of smart guys than anybody else, and uh, he was talking about smart technical guys, and and you know, it, it's it's you know, I, my advice would be find, you know, don't don't uh, don't choose too quickly and find the right guy, you know, person. And uh, there, there are a lot of folks out there that fit the bill. In fact, come talk to me afterwards. I, uh, I have somebody specifically in mind. And
6: in, in my uh, thoughts, <laughs> kind of uh, we've had difficulties finding folks that would be generally described as head of software development or even CTOs at our past companies. It is a very difficult position to fill because you have to essentially have the credibility of being a great programmer and being a mentor to those folks that run into problems, but also have great um, team-building skills, which I think is the large deficit when you're in, t- in that situation. You find people more likely to have great experience in coding, but not necessarily in bringing together and getting the best out of a team. And if I were you, my recommendation is to make sure that you really vet that strongly, that you look at the teamwork attributes of the person uh, as you're
2: hiring them. If Jack's guy doesn't pan out, let me know, because I know a couple of folks on his team that could do a bang-up job. (laughs) And it starts.
1: (laughs) Other questions? Yes, way in back.
8: I got a question
5: maybe specifically for Grant. Uh, Someone in a young company looking to approach
1: a VC and, you know, what their motivations may be what would you recommend? How they plan for, find venture capital, and uh, approach it with beyond just having a you know unrivaled uh,
8: enthusiasm and a great business plan. What do you suggest beyond that?
2: Yeah, uh, uh, let me tell you what helped me. Um, firstly, I think you can never be um, you can never be sufficiently prepared. Um, and I mean not just in what you're going to go and articulate and therefore ask for, but prepared in your own fortitude for your idea. And I often feel that um, most of the private equity folks that I have dealt with and continue to deal with are mostly testing my fortitude um, for my business plan um, and uh, my commitment to seeing it through, because there will be good days, but there will be some very tough days, um, and those will continue until you... Hopefully, have a, a gracious exit. Um, so I would I would soul search pretty deeply on your own fortitude to your idea. We all have lots of good ideas, um, but not all of those do we truly are we truly prepared to commit to? And I'm talking about years and years of your own time, um, and quite frankly, probably a significant portion of your own financial um, situation. So I would say establish your fortitude very very solidly. Um, and don't overwhelm it just with passion, because um, it's very hard to take passion to the bank and, 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 and pay bills. Um, but it's important. Um, beyond that, I think um, in terms of how you court um, and your, uh, your, your nurturing of that possible funding community, <clears throat> what was most helpful to me was advocacy um, and uh, from the people that knew me best and had dealt with a number of um, of uh, potential funding sources. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, I'll be very candid. Um, Dan uh, helped me get a fast start with my investors because I had known Dan for a long time. I had worked for him. I have some scars from that, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but he was able to advocate at least the fact that I am a capable individual, hopefully with a sufficiently large brain and enough drive to at least get through the door. Um, and I think it's crucial that you, you start with your network first, those people who can stand up for you um, and at least advocate your capability. Um, so, um, And to the extent you don't have that, then I think um, you should be very disciplined in going and courting money um, because um, there are very specific um, venture or p e firms that orient around specific industries, um, and those people are probably going to help you the most um, you know it 's not an accident that some folks at this table have uh, even s- same investors uh, because they 're focused on a specific industry. Uh, a sp- specific portion of that industry. You know, telecom infrastructure is, runs very deep on this panel, um, and some of the investors, that's all they do. So I'd be, I'd look, firstly, I'd, I'd establish your own personal fortitude with great honesty. Um, secondly, I'd look to your own network of people that can help you sift through all of the smart money that's out there and pick the money that you think you're going to court that is best suited towards you, and I would court the money that is best suited towards the area in which you're trying to build your business.
1: Uh, other questions? Yes, go
3: ahead.
8: Um, how would entrepreneurism be affected by the regulatory aspects
3: of telecom? Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, regulatory is a big part of telecom. Uh, what's worked best for me is to avoid areas of telecom that have high regu- regulation because <laughs> it's, it's unpredictable. It's hard. It's hard to get a business going. That is more entrepreneurial, and more startup. If there's a regulatory kind of uh, risk associated with it, uh, the companies who deal best on the regulatory front are the most established telecoms. I mean, they're the ones who've learned it over the years and have the money and the fortitude and longevity to, to deal with the regul you know, regulated and even take advantage of regulated issues. Uh, but it's uh, it's something to uh, you know to be very aware of. No question about it
7: there there are a lot of businesses you know in the last ten years that were started around a specific regulatory arbitrage that didn't turn out so well because <laughs> that rule or set of rules changed for whatever reason, and uh, the, those businesses tend to, to implode in spectacular ways so uh you know I, I'm, I'm kind of with Dan that uh, you know building a business around a specific arbitrage is probably not, not
3: a great plan. Get your money out while you can if you're doing that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, I, I'll just uh, throw in two, though. I don't think regulatory will kill a business opportunity if it's well thought out and you have a unique position and opportunity ahead of you. I'll go back to my my uh, comment about starting up the Internet business for U.S. West back in the day. I mean, it, literally it was perceived as a long-distance business, and the phone company was a local Business. And so at, at the face of it, you would say, well, you can't offer internet service, right, as the phone company. But understanding what the regulatory environment was, what the legal aspects were, we worked around it. And so you still had an opportunity to go get that business to, to be focused on what you could do to grow that business. Um, you just have certain parameters at times,
5: right? You know, so being in a regulated business, uh, you just need to understand what the reg business is and what unreg is. And so that's kind of the way we look at it as a, as a large corporation. There's a lot more opportunities, obviously, in the unregulated areas. And then to Dan's point as far as, you know, what has to take place out in D.C., uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a whole consortium of telecommunications companies that are working towards similar issues. And so that's uh, probably not, not the place where you want to shop from a startup or entrepreneurial perspective.
1: Other questions? Yes, right here in the middle.
8: So many of you have found your success by finding gaps in the telecom market and satisfying those particular needs. Some are still doing that right now. Still, uh, there's one area that has been sorely neglected, that's the access network, in which each of you every day face challenges at your own levels of dealing with getting bandwidth to the customer from the point of presence to the United States. were challenged with uh, longer loop lengths and smaller densities, uh, and. Uh, unlike Europe and a lot of Asian countries. So we continue to do things like milk, the copper we have in the ground that's been planted there decades ago, or do things like spectrum reclamation, like Project Cavalry that Comcast has done. Uh, what we really need to do, though, is a bigger way to drive more fiber beyond the 23.1% we're experiencing in North America. One of the ways to successfully do that is to allow municipalities to get into the infrastructure business and to uh, take control of their own destiny and put in infrastructure and allow service providers uh, access on a non-discriminatory basis. And what I was wondering is each, how each one of you, from your own perspective, uh, could address that and how it would benefit your business or uh, whether you'd support such an effort.
3: I'm a capitalist, not a socialist.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't want my municipalities. <laughs>
8: <laughs>
3: I, I think I think I'm a fan of small government, not big government. I think uh I think the government should do, uh whether it's local or national or statewide, there's essential things that we need the government to do and there's uh things that the government shouldn't do. And building fiber networks in municipalities with taxpayer money with the idea that they're gonna do good, usually it doesn't work that way. And uh that's a personal opinion, but uh, you know, certainly when they build the network uh, and they have extra fiber, uh, we'll take advantage of it. I think we're doing that with one municipality right now in Colorado, uh, and uh, you know, that's great when it happens, and we can take advantage of it, but I'm you know, personally just not a fan of, uh, of government and taxpayer money and, and public, publicly employed employees uh, doing stuff that's outside of what's necessary for government to do. I agree with Dan,
4: uh, frankly, that, you know, it's it's really not in the core competency well, from what I've seen in the past uh, of a, a governmental agency to manage, to build, to operate a, a fiber network. Uh, you know, it's noble in its thought, uh, but it's really not uh, a core competency or capability, I, you know. It's, you can build fiber infrastructure, we've seen a lot of this over the past 10 or 15 years where it's built in the wrong places, it's not managed the right way, um, it's stranded investment. Um, it, it, is a, it is a skill and a core competency, and I just have not seen a municipality that, that's really done a good job at that over yeah. the past 20 years.
5: The precursor is probably looking at Muni Wi-Fi, for example. That hasn't really turned out too well. That kind of really gets that notion of uh, core competencies.
6: It, as a customer, I can tell you that um, when we buy fiber in that uh, manner, we expect to have turnaround times between 30 and 60 days. And I, I just can't even fathom uh, a <laughs> municipality uh, answering the phone call and jumping on. <laughs> on board. Yeah.
3: Well, they'll answer the phone call within <laughs> 30, <laughs> 60 days. <I> mean, yeah, <laughs> they, they
6: might within 30, <laughs>
7: 60 days. That's true. Yeah, I, I think you know we feel very similarly. I, I, I certainly do that. You know, it seems like a problem for industry to solve rather than for for uh, any you know local government or state government to go solve. And I think the, uh, the if anything, the the industry is consolidating. Right? We're seeing seeing good consolidation because of the fact that it's hard to 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 operate these things. And and some companies do them well, some companies don't. And and you know, our many companies here are taking advantage of the, of the fact that that. Uh, that that is the case, and boy, I, I think that's going to be the path, the path going forward. And I do see the state government stay out.
4: The only thing I would throw out, though, is there are opportunities to partner. And, and I think one of the things we don't do well today across the country is figure out how, when the streets are open, you know, we get fair warning and advance notice and, and manage rights-of-way strategies. And, and I think there's other things that we could do to partner better, uh, instead of having the municipality build it and own it and operate it themselves.
1: Let's take one more question. I know we're running a little bit over. Way in the back. The back shall be first.
8: <laughs>
3: what is uh, 4G technology going to do for or to your businesses? Oh, we love it. Uh, we love it. Uh, so uh, 4G technology is the the next kind of generation of wireless uh, kind of spectrum that is used to power you know, devices like this and devices like what Jim has, the iPad. Uh, it just you know, brings a lot more more wireless bandwidth uh, to you know the hands and and uh, to individuals. Uh, companies like us, uh, we build infrastructure that supports that, including extending fiber to a lot of locations that don't have fiber today. Uh, you know, we at Zeo and others on the panel do a lot of uh, construction of fiber networks to cell towers uh, because of the booming demand caused by these types of devices, and 4G is just going to accelerate that on steroids. So uh, it gives us the opportunity to do more business for the wireless carriers to support the underlying uh, demand that is enabled by those very high-powered wireless networks. To, To build on that a little bit,
5: all wireless networks are wireline networks. The question is where? So with uh, with 4G uh, in spectral efficiencies, there's still a spectrum shortage out there. So as a wireline provider, there's a, an immense opportunity to to feed uh, those cell sites. Uh, what we're also seeing, as well just as far as trends are concerned, uh, is is a device explosion and also a connected device explosion. So from behavioral perspective, you know, the consumption of, of bandwidth is, just seems to be insatiable. So. And our point of view is that it's, it's a tsunami out there. Uh, we're, we're happy to serve that business from a fiber-to-the-cell perspective, similar to what Dan's talking about as far as a business model. And, uh, you know, right now we've actually, we're serving right now 4,000 towers, and you know, we can't build fiber to a large extent quick enough for certain customers out there as they look to ramp up their uh, 4G initiatives. We, 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 uh, we'll help you. We. <laughs> <laughs>
7: uh, yeah. uh, thanks, Dan. We, we love it, <laughs> and, and, you know, as, as you... As you think think back, we used to look at business as the place that drove, it, enterprise specifically, place that drove most of the traffic and a lot of the innovation, the, the new features that we'd have to build as companies, uh, as telecom companies, and that has completely changed. Um, most of the traffic is coming from the consumer, and most of the features and the new requirements are coming from the consumer. So anything especially 4G, that pushes more and more capability and more and more uh, uh, access out to the edge is is a great thing for our business and, and for all of our businesses, especially, you know, level three. I think we've been, a you know, the, the core backbone provider for such a long time. And, and you know, we, we think it is absolutely the, the, the right thing. We want to see more of it and want to see uh, as much investment as possible.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I certainly would like to thank the audience in uh, Silicon Flatirons for having us out here this evening. I understand that this is the second largest gathering. I guess Ted Turner did better. <laughs> can't understand why but Ted Turner did better so so hopefully you enjoyed uh, tonight's session the panelists are going to be hanging around here for a while uh, so if you want to mingle and ask questions that uh, you didn't have a chance here in the open forum to do so I encourage that and, and thank you
3: and thank You Don thank
5: you. Can you help us build those networks? Excellent.